No ads today, because at the end of the episode, I'm going to request a favor from you. So please just keep the lack of commercials in mind when the ask comes in. For those who fish, this is the Drake Cast, a voice for fly fishing culture and conservation. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. As you'll see in the title, this is a continuation of the Steelhead miniseries that started years ago. Chapter 3 to be exact. And while I recognize that the vast majority of anglers will never set foot in a native steelhead stream, I'm harping on this issue because I see these fish as a bit of a canary in the coal mine for our fisheries and really the world as a whole. And I'm worried that their health is a sign of things to come for our rivers and all of us. With that in mind, I want to start with what I think is my favorite memory from winter 2021. February, got to walk down to the water and get some water sounds. I was living in Oregon and had been fishing three days a week for over a month. And at that point had not had a sniff. Uh, not even a cutthroat had come to my fly. So day after day, I'd go out and two-step the banks, casting, mending, swinging, repeating hour after hour. Until, finally, as you hope it will, the line went tight. I'll save you the description of the nearly orgasmic experience that followed. It was fantastic. But at the time, I couldn't quite wrap my head around what had actually happened. I really wasn't able to until while driving down a rural highway hours later. There are a bunch of people here. Traffic had come to a stop and I was able to chat with another human being who happened to be a construction worker who was controlling the traffic. Good anything? I did. Cool. Yeah, first one out here. Pretty good feeling. Good size? Yeah, very respectable. You, uh... Up, up here, down, right, right out here. Cool. Yeah, you know, you, you fish for a month and a half and you don't have a grab and then all of a sudden, <laughs> there it is. When I first came here 30 years ago, I fished at lower end with lures. They said it takes, you know, it takes about 100 hours before you catch your first one. Was that true for you? Yeah, I, yeah. I've only caught one. I've been here for 30 years, but I have, you know, I've, and what's cool is I've seen it roll. And I was using a spinner, I just threw it out there, boom. Then That's you sit great. there and you have to be a biologist to figure out what it was. <laughs> They're trying to make sure there was a steelhead. <laughs> and it was. Well, congratulations. You, you, you let him go? Yeah, it's all, all wild oh, it's release up here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a nice fish. Cool. The road eventually cleared. I bid the state employee adieu and drove off quite contented. I mean, you can hear the smugness in my voice. A hundred hours is far less than the time it actually took me to find this fish. But the sheer joy that big wild winter steel had brought me made my efforts worthwhile. And I thought I'd finally figured out the game. This was still pretty early in the season, that after this fish there would be many more in the rivers and the season would only pick up from there. I was really hoping that the canaries below the surface would start singing their songs in unison with such force that their cages would break and the sky would run yellow. But I was wrong. And over the next few months, it wasn't just me who was figuring this out. Across the West this past year, 
Steelhead have not been doing well. And the news just seems to be getting worse, really everywhere. Uh, the meeting today uh, is to learn more and share details about the recent rule on the coast for steelhead. Before I caught this fish, a bunch of rivers on Washington's Olympic Peninsula had gotten shut down. It's an extremely tough year to be a steelhead. In the past few months, the summer run on the Deschutes went from a voluntary to official closure. No fishing for steelhead allowed. On the Columbia River, steelhead counts are less than a third of the average from the past decade. What is arguably the most famous steelhead river, the North Umpqua, shut down this summer. In Mesquina, things are looking really bad this year. Uh, we're at historic returns. Tucked away in this hard-to-reach corner of Canada, the Skeena system is also not doing well right now. This is the worst year on record. We're sitting at about 20% of the historical average. This, of course, is in addition to all of the creeks from Baja, California, through the Fraser system that have collapsed within the past 200 years. Things are not going well. But today, I want to use this episode to talk about a little corner of Oregon where things haven't quite gone to shit. Yet. Where, despite the efforts of miners and noxious air and a million other villains, that little yellow bird is still chirping. For now. To get into this, I got on the phone with a guy who calls this area home. Hey. Hey, Elliot. Hey, is this Harvey? Yep, yep. This is Harvey Young. So where are you right now, and what are you up to? We're out in a, um, a big field. We're bringing some bees into this field tomorrow morning early. We do pollination service or almonds next spring. I, uh, I grew up raising bees. They're fantastic creatures. Oh, there you go. But, of course, we weren't there to talk about bees. I'm entering my 50th year guiding, which is probably at the very tail end now. And for most of those 50 years, Harvey's lived in the fertile waters of the Rogue Valley in southern Oregon, mainly floating the Rogue and Chetco rivers. I mean, it'd be nice to live in Sun Valley, Idaho, Aspen, but you can't buy, you can't earn a living there. You know, it's just Brookings is beat up old logging town, uh, fishing, and it has this incredible little array of rivers around it. All of southern Oregon kind of has that. You just get hooked on that. Because 15, 20, 25 years ago, Harvey says that the fishing was lights out. There'd be very few people fishing, and if anybody some days, and there was like, at times, not every time, there'd be abundance of fish. You could see them in the water. And, and if you didn't see them, you'd see them popping on the surface. It was interesting where they school up, and they, they tend to show themselves at times with jumping, little small jumps on the surface of the water. And they could be 10-pound fish doing this little whoosh on the water, you know. And on better days, we'd get four or five or six of those during a day's outing, landed fish that went berserk and jumped. And we'd land them and didn't let them go or keep one, two, or keep our limit. You know, we were always encouraged to keep our limit in those days, right? But we already know the ending of this all-too-common story. So, you know, you know, we can't even come close to doing that anymore. But, you know, we're still happy and grateful if we catch one or two. There's the usual suspects as to why there aren't as many fish. These declines are death by a, th a thousand cuts. So like some guy clears his hillside off and all the way the river sprays around up, gets rid of the blackberries, whatever. You know, he wants to view of the river, takes away the tree lines. And 
and they, you know, they log heavy up a side slope and mud runs on that river for a number of days every day. And it seems like as our human activities increased, it's really patently obvious that we don't have the abundance of steelhead that we used to have. Like I said, an all too familiar story. But what isn't familiar on these rivers are the rules at play, particularly that for some reason, it is still legal to kill or harvest wild winter steelhead on these rivers. Yeah, there, there's none in BC. And then in Alaska, um, it, there are some places that are still open for steelhead harvest. And it's basically... This is Nick Chambers, a fisheries advocate who's currently getting his master's degree from the University of Washington's fisheries program. Nick spent his formative years along the Rogue River in southern Oregon. I called Nick up to help contextualize just how out of the ordinary it is that you can still kill wild winter steelhead in southern Oregon. It's pretty limited, and it's not in places that have a lot of guides, a ton of fishing pressure, <laughs> um, you know, and also a really long history of, of fishing where we're, we're fishing on runs that are likely um, already pretty heavily depleted. We'll hear more from Nick in a second when we get into some sciencey stuff. But back to Harvey, the guide down on the southern Oregon coast, where for the past 50 years, he's practiced catch and release some of the time, partially for a reason that I'd never heard before, but really connected with. And when you sunk it on the head, they're just, they just sit there and lose all their color and their brilliance. And it's like a dead human. It's like really not, it's not the same. I mean, you know, it's completely different. And you, you know, I'm not going to say fish are like humans, but that's the feeling you get. A dead fish is like completely different. When did you kill your last wild steelhead on purpose? The last wild steelhead I caught, I kind of regret it. Uh, let me think. A really big one, probably five years ago, maybe more like a 15, 16 pounder and just huge fight, rainy day. And the guy was from Southern California in the Valley, like Fresno area. And he sells tomatoes. So he took the steelhead home. And as like, I don't know, you know, cause we can, you know, it's, it's legal to do that. And I kind of said, why did I ever let that happen? I said, you know, no big tip. He didn't pay me more. He never came back again. It's like, why did he even do that? But these days, Harvey's going beyond just releasing his own fish. In 2018, he submitted a petition to the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife to abolish the harvest of wild winter steelhead on the South Coast. Elliot, the main reason is kind of selfish. You know, I would like to keep fishing for steelhead, but what happens when numbers go down, fishing game will shut it off. Like there's no abalone fishing on the coast of California anymore. You cannot go harvest abalone because the numbers are down. So you don't even get a chance to maybe get one. You, you, there's no fishing. And so that's what's happened in these fisheries. It's shut down, like done. You can't fish. Which we saw this past winter on parts of the Olympic Peninsula. And we've seen in the past on the Skagit system. And we're seeing right now on the North Umpqua. I would like to see that where we, we can deal with this before it's to the point of a closure. But maybe, just maybe, there's a bit of hope. You know, as soon as Harvey Young submitted that first petition, I was on board with, yeah, you know, we should, we should definitely stop this down there. And Nick has the knowledge to go as granular as you could possibly imagine on this situation. But thankfully, he used simpler terms for us laymen. You know, if you or I wanted to go out and buy a new fly rod, get a new space set up, whatever it is, buy a raft, you know, we'd have to check our bank account first. 
and say, do I have the money to go out and buy this item? And it's no different with ODFW. They have to know what's in their bank account and they have to know what their income is. So they have to know how many fish they have and they have to know how many fish are going to keep coming back. So before they can, can say that, yeah, we can keep harvesting fish and they, they really don't have that down there. The state biologists who are making their recommendations to keep the fisheries open do have some data, but it's of juvenile trout. But the problem with juvenile data is you're missing a big portion of the fish's life before it comes back in as adult. And that's when it goes to the ocean. And, you know, ocean conditions, as I'm sure everyone knows, are a primary driver of steelhead abundance or really abundance of any anadromous fish that returns. And I think we're all seeing that this year very clearly where we're just having horrible runs all the way from the Columbia up to the Skeena, worst runs on record. When it's that large scale, you know, some, something happened in the ocean that really whacked all these fish. And so in Southern Oregon, they're relying on juvenile data. So it totally skips that whole ocean phase, which just means there's a huge amount of uncertainty in your forecast. And I do admit that there's actually some pretty good data on adult fish populations dating back a long ways on the Rogue River. Gold Ray Dam is on the Rogue, and they've been counting fish there since 1942, which is when they put a ladder in where they could count fish. And so where ODFW is coming from is, hey, these dam counts have been pretty stable since the 40s. We don't see a big decline or any significant change. But the problem there is that's just a dam count. And if you're familiar with the Rogue Basin, Gold Ray Dam is 130 miles upstream. So the vast majority of your winter steelhead spawners are downstream of that. Not to mention the fish that shoot up two substantial tributaries to the rogue that just aren't being counted whatsoever, but whose management relies on counts from this dam dozens of river miles away. So you don't really know what's going on in those other populations. They're not all necessarily following the same trends. The agency is very firm in their position that there are plenty of fish here and there's, there's really no concern. When we just don't know if that's true. And I guess it comes down to this, this opinion of, do you want to harvest fish or not? And I think it, it's, do we want to continue to have a fishery into the future or do we want to just take and take right now? You know, it's, it's this sort of forward looking approach. And unfortunately we can't always agree on the science, but I think with everything that we're facing right now in the steelhead world, we need to be as cautious as we possibly can. And I think in, in the case of the rogue right now, we can, in, in the Southern Oregon coast, we can still fish. And that's kind of a win because a lot of other places are facing closures right now. But that's not necessarily guaranteed. So, you know, I think we kind of need to come together and say, okay, maybe we don't agree on everything, but let's put a pause on this and let's figure it out. And let's go in and collect some, some better data so we really have a good handle on what's going on. Here's the point where I thought about introducing someone who wants to keep the harvest regulations in place to continue allowing the kill of wild winter steelhead on the southern Oregon coast. But to be honest, I've read enough of the letters sent by people who want to keep it the way it is to know that most of the arguments rely on beliefs, nostalgia, and what people claim are their individual rights. Three things that are all but impossible to quantify in any meaningful or scientific way. So I'm not going to talk about their point of view. But I know that when all this comes to a head on October 15, when the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife Commission meets, there will be well more than a baker's dozen of folks claiming that it's their right to harvest these wild fish. Science, or lack thereof, be damned. What do you think is going to happen this year? I think that we will lose the immediate battle with the commissioners when we present it to them. 
You know, it's anybody's guess, right? I mean, I think um, we, we've got a, a commission that seems to be pretty proactive on a lot of things. And I, I think they're hopefully going to take a more cautious approach. You know, this climate change plan they published recently, I thought was really good. And I think that's really relevant here if, you know, we're, we're facing an uncertain future. So manage conservatively now because we don't really know what's coming. Um, so, you know, I think it's really important to show up and testify if you feel strongly about this issue and let your voice be heard. I mean, that's one of the ways that I think we can all engage right now, especially if our favorite river is, is closed. If you'd like to testify in support of catch and release of all wild winter steelhead in one of the countries, nay, the world's last great steelhead strongholds, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes. You got to sign up by the end of October 12, so get on it. If you want to read more about these issues, follow the link that we have in our show notes to the Native Fish Society website. They're the ones who ask that we look into this issue, and I really support the work they do. I encourage you to do so as well. Many thanks to Harvey Young and Nick Chambers for their help on this episode. Same to Kirk Blaine and all the folks at the Native Fish Society, and really everyone working for the health of native fisheries around the globe. In theory, this episode is brought to you by the fine folks at Scott Flyrods, The Eleven Experience, and Howler Brothers. If you like the show, give them some of your money. Also, consider throwing a fiver to your favorite local nonprofit that supports wild fish. They could use it, I'm sure. Okay, back next month with another episode on some undetermined topic. I'll figure it out. We'll talk to you then. This has been The Drake Cast.